Welcome to episode 98 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the Jackson Hole Wine Club. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn a whole lot more about the Jackson Hole Wine Club. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole and share their fascinating story about life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday life. Today's guest is Jeff Moran, the Chief Marketing Officer for Jackson Hole's oldest nonprofit, the Jackson Hole Ski and Snowboard Club. Jeff's short visit after college has now turned into over 20 years of being a Valley resident. Jeff's gonna share with us today what it takes to operate a nonprofit which spans over eight decades and touches the lives of over 500 local kids each year. You hear the name and think wintertime only, but Jeff helps us realize for kids to be great athletes, year-round programs and training is much needed. As the motto of Jackson Hole Wine Club states, create champions in sport and life, Jeff will help us see how that all happens and comes together with all of these kids. Jeff, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. Delighted to have somebody from the Jackson Hole Ski and Snowboard Club uh, join. Excited to learn more about it. So welcome. Hope you're well today. I am well. And uh, thanks for having me, Stefan. It's exciting to be on the podcast. So let's start off your interview as we start off all interviews, or at least as I try to. (laughs) How long have you been in Jackson and what is your connection to Jackson Hole? So I've been here little over 21 years, which I uh, just realized was 21 years. I, I thought I was coming up on my 20th anniversary this past winter and then did a little math and found out it was actually 21 years. I somehow skipped one along the way. Uh, my connection to Jackson is I, I came out here uh, for what was supposed to be a very short visit after college in uh, at the beginning in 1999. Um, I came out to visit some friends who had all migrated out here uh, from Vermont ahead of me. And the plan was to sleep on their couch for a week or two and then continue cruising around for the winter before uh, I got back to the real world and got a real job and I never left. Just decided to stay. So you you came out here in 99 and that's the same year I arrived. I was here summer. Was that winter for you? Yeah, winter uh, at the beginning of January, 1999. Okay. So you had, I think about six months ahead of me of when I got here. So we're the class of 99. <laughs> class of 99. That was a good time to get here when you could uh, still find housing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, fortunately I lived with my brother at the time. And so I had guaranteed housing. I, I, I've been very fortunate with housing. Yeah. Nice. I feel like I've been in the same boat too. So that's good. We must have some good housing karma. And since that time, how long have you been with the Ski and Snowboard Club? Uh, I am going into my 17th year with the club right now. I started out, I think it was in 2004. I was uh, one of the snowboard coaches, started coaching some of the younger kids. And then I uh, soon ended up in the position of head snowboard coach, uh, as well as uh, the director of the freeride program. I did that for, I believe, a little bit over a decade. And then uh, in 2015 transitioned uh, into more of an administrative role. And since then, I've had a couple different titles, but it's been somewhat of the same position, uh, working on putting on our fundraising events, uh, club-wide marketing, 
managing all of our sponsorships uh, for the most part, and then communications. Cool. Um, nice to see your progression in the organization and being able to rise in the ranks there. Yeah. Who, who knew that the snowboard bum coming out from Vermont would be able to make a life for himself here in Jackson Hole. How many years has the uh, ski and snowboard club been around and, and ha- what did it start as when it did start? Yeah, uh, we, we actually are Jackson, well, the town of Jackson's oldest nonprofit. So the Ski and Snowboard Club was founded in 1938. So we are entering into our 82nd season. Wasn't the Ski and Snowboard Club back then. It was just the Ski Club up until, uh, I believe, the late 90s or early 2000s when snowboarding got added to the name. But we've, been, uh, we've had snowboarders in the ranks since the, as far back as the 80s, as far as I know. Okay. And... Do you guys have an idea of how many kids you all have impacted in that time frame? In the 82 years, I, I have no idea how many that total would be. We, on a regular basis, on an annual basis, we tend to have right around 500 kids throughout the whole club. Um, and that's split up between uh, four, four different programs. So our Alpine Racing Program is our largest. Uh, and then our Nordic Program um, followed by our free ride program, which is, it, it encompasses both snowboarding and, uh, free skiing. And then we've got our newly, uh, added backcountry program, which just came online, uh, for the first time last year. Exciting. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. And what about the Olympiads that have come out or, and, and even taking it further, people who have participated in the Olympics that, that have come through the program? And then how many professionals have come out of that program? Do you guys have an idea? I, I mean, I don't know the total number. I've got some names off the top of my head, like Betty Woolsey uh, was a big name um, in, the, in the Ski and Snowboard Club. Um, and then we've got Racy Stiegler, of course. She's a big name. Uh, as far as professional athletes, uh, there's Travis Rice. He was, a, he was a Ski and Snowboard Club athlete in his younger days. And then another snowboarder is Cam Fitzpatrick, who is, uh, is, is another up-and-coming pro snowboarder from, from Jackson. Uh, Jess McMillan, uh, she's the uh, partner and, partner's manager and events manager out of Jacksonville Mountain Resort. She was a ski club alumni, and she's like a three- or four-time uh, freeride world champion. So we've got some pretty big names that have come out of the club over the 80 years. That's, that's awesome. Just shows the impact that you guys have uh, here in the community and helping those, those kiddos grow, grow into be mature professional skiers. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun uh, to be a part of the club for as long as I have and to actually watch kids grow up and transition from, you know, being these little kids in the program to now adults uh, in their own right. And, and to really, you know, to really see how many alumni we have out there. One of the, one of the ongoing projects we have is to continually try and, and track down and be building our alumni association. And, you know, like one of your first questions, one of the things that we are trying to figure out is how many people out there across the world, or at least the nation, were in the Ski and Snowboard Club at some time in their life. And there's a lot of them out there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say the Ski and Snowboard Club's had a pretty big reach over the last 82 years. Well, congratulations on the, such an amazing track record for 82 years. So why did the community start the ski, the ski club back in 1938? What was the impetus? You know, I think it had a lot to do with um, just having a, a, a formal organization to get some ski and ski. Well, I was going to say ski and snowboard, definitely not snowboarding in 1938, or at least not that I know of. 
but uh, to get some like formal ski training, it, the ski club was was established uh, same year as Snow King Mountain. So we've been partners with them ever since uh, and go hand in hand with our with our training. You know, we still train on Snow King Mountain on a on a daily basis in the winter. So it was it was a lot about just having a, a formalized club once the the mountain once snow king mountain was created and and i think that's an important point to make and thank you for making that point so clarify in relationship to skiing here not just here in jackson hole but also in wyoming where does that put snow king and let people know what else where else could people ski when snow king mountain was started uh, not, not nowhere else in Wyoming. I know that Snow King is the oldest ski resort in all of Wyoming. And man, I don't, you know, I, I have no idea, but there couldn't have been too many ski resorts around in 1938, as far as in this area. Um, you know, I know the village, uh, JHMR, what, what they came around in the, in the sixties, I believe they just had their 50th anniversary a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, Snow King was, was pretty far ahead of its time. Yeah. Im- impressive that it's been around for, for so long and people realized that we needed something to occupy people's times. Cause there was nothing to do out here in the winter. <laughs> no, stay, trying to stay warm. That's uh, right. We actually, a, a bunch of years ago, um, our former, one of our former executive directors, uh, Carrie Boynton, she um, worked on, getting a museum, a snow king and, and, and ski club museum put together. So if you're ever in the in the base lodge of Snow King Mountain, uh, their main sort of gathering room, the lodge room, it, the whole all of the walls around it are, are sort of a timeline of the history of the Jacksonville Ski and Snowboard Club. And then also how, you know, we have worked with and, and been partners with Snow King for so long. I, I remember when Carrie worked on that. Um... We both have boys that are the same age, pretty much. And um, yeah, I've known Carrie for a long time. That was a great accomplishment that she put together. And it was a wonderful way to memorialize what the ski club is for our community. Because now that will always be information for people to, to be able to learn from. Yeah, I, I personally, I mean, we're not working in our offices right now because of COVID, but when I am there, I, I am regularly running downstairs and running along the walls to try and find, you know, an old tidbit of information or, or make sure I've got the date right on something. So it's nice to have this, this living history uh, right there in the base of Snow King. Now, when we were first talking before we got into the interview, you mentioned something about the organization has year-round programs. and I never knew that. And so help me understand what do you guys do on a year round basis? Yeah. Um, it, it, you're, you're not alone. Um, we, even with all of our, our club staff who, who are working year round, we regularly regularly are asked, so what do you guys do in the summer? Well, we, we have, the club has about, uh, I'd say seven or eight full-time year round staff. And then in the winters we bump up to about uh, 80 or 90 staff with all the, the coaching staff that we bring on. And so our year-round training, um, I mean, obviously everybody knows about what we do in the winter, uh, skiing, snowboarding, anything that has to do with that. In the summers, um, we're sending kids to camp. We actually have uh, quite a few kids at Mount Hood right now doing some on-snow training uh, as part of our Alpine program. So all of our programs do some sort of dry land training, and then they also, to some extent, will, will do as much on-snow training as possible. Uh, like I said, for Alpine, they're at Mount Hood. Um, that's a pretty common place for uh, 
for our free ride program to train as well in the summer. We have kids who are here in Jackson uh, doing dry land training. In particular, our Nordic program, they, they get going right away at pretty much, uh, they don't take much of a break when their ski season ends in, in March and they, they get right into uh, doing dry land training and, and fitness training to, to get in shape for the, the coming season. Our free ride program in the summer, we have skateboard camps that are super popular. Uh, I believe there's one going on uh, today and tomorrow. And uh, we tend to do about five or so of those every summer and they, they sell out really quick, um, which has been a, a great, great thing to see, especially because we tend to get some kids who sign up for the skateboard camps in the summer and then they end up coming and uh, being a part of the, the winter programming too. So that's been a nice nice little perk for, for our uh, enrollment. And then, uh, so yeah, there's, there's dryland training, there's the on-snow training, um, skateboarding. We do some mountain biking through our free ride program. And then our uh, Nordic crew has even gone up to uh, Canada and done some training on glaciers up there. I don't believe that camp's happening this summer, but for the last few years, it's the, the Hague Glacier uh, that they've done some, some training on. So we try to keep as many kids, especially our higher level elite level uh, athletes as engaged as impossible uh, all year round. Because otherwise, you know, if we waited until the snow was flying to get in shape and, and to be ready, um, we'd be far behind our competition. And, and as we all know, if you, if you wait until, you know, you, you wait until they get in shape, uh, until you put your skis or snowboard on, you tend to be a little bit lagging behind all your buddies uh, when you get out on the snow. So the more we can do ahead of time, the better. We keep those kids busy. Yeah, that's quite a program. That's <laughs> that's a lot going on. At what age do the kids start training year round for their competitive field? Uh, it wouldn't be until they're in their uh, early to mid teens where they're really staying uh, focused on year round training. That doesn't mean that they can't be involved uh, in some to some degree or another. Um, but we um, we really make sure that we stick to the U.S. ski and snowboard uh, training matrix. And they have a whole, a whole system designed and, and suggestions and recommendations on how much training kids should be doing at different ages. So one of the things we don't want to do is be pushing kids too hard at too young of an age. If you do that, you know, you, you can, uh, as, you, as you would imagine, you tend to see a lot of burnout. So we, you know, we want to focus on making sure that uh, their involvement is, is, beneficial to their progression in the in the programs but that it's also fun within fun is one of our our core uh values and you know if it's not fun then you, we see kids drop out of the program so we we make a we make sure that we're not we're not overdoing it and that we're waiting until a little bit later in their in their years in their progression to to make it a, a really serious year-round training uh regimen so are you guys affiliated with the u.s ski ski team or organization to, to be able to get that type of guidance? Um, so we're affiliated with them in the sense that we are a U.S. ski and snowboard club. We're a member of the U.S. ski and snowboard uh, organization. So U.S. ski and snowboard, they, they put out, they're sort of the, the, the top dog, you know, the, the Olympic governing body for the U.S. Um, and they're, they're really, they're really focused on, on driving, uh, 
the development of Olympic level athletes, but especially in the last, I would say five to 10 years, they've been putting a ton of resources and a ton of effort into making sure that they're supporting all of the ski and snowboard clubs around the country like ours. I, I, we're, you know, we're on maybe a little bit of the larger scale, having 500 kids. There's, there's clubs with much, you know, much fewer kids and, and staff involved and us ski and snowboard does a really good job of, of designing, um, sort of generalized curriculums and standards that all of these clubs can can live up to or at least use as guidance. And they've also, uh, in, the, in the last, I guess, five years or so, developed sort of an, an accreditation process where clubs can uh, apply for and, and work to get a bronze, silver, uh, or gold status. And, and it's a big process that you go through uh, with consultants from U.S. Ski and Snowboard, but it's, it's, a, it's a really good process that helps um, our club and, and other clubs around the nation uh, have, have just a, a standard set of guidelines to, you know, how to become the best possible ski and snowboard club that you can be. Uh, so right now we are at the silver level. Uh, and we are in the process over the course of the next, I guess it would be three years is, is when we would then reapply for, for the gold level. I'm sure you guys will make it. Yeah, we're working hard for sure. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of I's to dot and a lot of T's to cross, but we are, you know, we, we are on our way to, to make that happen for sure. Cool. I would love to, for you to share with the folks that are listening in today to have a better understanding of what the free ride means. Because not everybody that listens to the podcast is here in Jackson Hole. Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, I think for people involved with the freeride industry and the, the freeride world of skiing and snowboarding, it can still be quite confusing, um, especially since the word freeride, free ski, and freestyle uh, tend to get inter- interchanged quite often, whether whether they, they should be or not. Freeride it just means simply uh, a way of, of, of skiing or snowboarding on the mountain that's a little bit less structured than, say, alpine training. Um, I think we all know what, you know, alpine ski racing looks like, and there's a really uh, somewhat strict and standardized uh, training regimen that goes into that and into those disciplines. And free ride is, is quite the bit, you know, on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, it's, you know, approaching the mountain from a very free and open-minded perspective uh, and, and really using the train on the mountain uh, in the most creative way that you, you see fit. We at the club have been using the word free ride uh, to define the program name since its inception in, in the early 2000s and then more to just designate snowboarding and or the snowboarding and skiing components of that program. We say free skiing and snowboarding. I think that's that's really common for, for most ski and snowboard clubs to use those designations. But um, yeah, even after, you know, 30 some odd years in the, in the snowboard industry and, and 17 years at the ski and snowboard club, those words all get pretty confusing and, and you got to stop and think every now and then about, you know, which one you're using and if it's clear to the people that you're talking about what you actually mean. Yeah. You, you guys have a lot happening over there. I'll be right back with Jeff after this quick message from the show sponsor. Jackson's newest and most exciting wine club has just received a revamp. That's right, Jackson Hole Wine Club is the coolest club to be a part of here in Jackson Hole because it involves wine and the cool folks at the liquor store. 
Check it out at jacksonholewineclub.com. You can choose from our wine of the week or any of our subscription models. Take a peek and enjoy some wine. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. I am very curious, and especially for people that um, don't live here as well. One, why did you all add the backcountry component to it? And how could people understand the difference between the free ride and the backcountry? Yeah, so the, the free ride program is based more in competition. Uh, so, and, and that's, that, that goes as well for our Alpine and our Nordic programs. Although, the, although we have, you know, some smaller components to those programs uh, where kids maybe not be as super competitive as others, you know, our, our goal is to keep kids involved in the sport to whatever level they want to be uh, and to create, you know, our, our, our motto is to create champions in sport and life. So Alpine, Nordic, and freeride programs are based in competition, whereas our backcountry program, as of right now, there's no, there's no competitive component to that. Um, the way the backcountry program came about is we were, we were seeing that uh, industry-wide, you know, you have these ski and snowboard clubs where kids are learning the intricacies of, of you know, alpine skiing, Nordic, free skiing, snowboarding, whatever it may be. But they're not necessarily getting, you know, when, when they're not training or when they're not bashing gates or whatever, they're, they're getting ready for you know, an event. There, were, there wasn't an official or, or, or regular component of, of uh, training that taught them about how to move through the mountain and, and, and just be, you know, what mountain etiquette was when they're outside of their, of their club training role. And here in Jackson Hole, um, I think it's, you know, it, it's a really, really big necessity to make sure that the kids in our program have a good sense of, of what's going on in the mountains around them when they're not training. Um, you know, we have kids that might be going up to ski Teton pass or going into the back country, uh, with their parents when they're not, uh, training with the club. And, you know, we want to make sure that they're getting from, from the start of their involvement with the club, that they're getting some sort of education, uh, so that they're ready for, you know, whatever might happen when they're in the backcountry. So the backcountry program, uh, we actually, we unrolled out three different layers of the, of that program over the course of a, a couple years. The, the first tier of that was just simply doing some really basic avalanche uh, awareness and, and all mountain etiquette training for every kid in the club. So regardless of what program they're in, we had some, we, we had some professional guides come in and just do some, some really basic but necessary training for all the kids. Tier two was then more of an opt-in type of program where you could sign up to, to get your, you know, AVI one certification and things like that. So a little bit more official and that, that was, and is open to, kids in all of our programs as well as kids outside of the ski and snowboard club but you do have to register for it uh and then just this last year we uh rolled out the the third and final tier which is a, a full-time full-time meaning through the winter uh program it's called it's actually called the four-month uh backcountry program and that is where we're taking kids who maybe you know maybe they were alpine athletes or, or nordic freeride whatever it might have been but they they're not as into the competitive aspect of of skiing or snowboarding so they can join the the backcountry program and then they're focusing uh specifically 
specifically on um, getting avalanche certified, doing touring days uh, around the valley. Like I know they do some touring days up in the park and, and even just at, at snoking, you know, just throwing on some skins and, and learning the basics of what it takes to, you know, manage your your backcountry touring gear how do you put skins on and off what's the most efficient way to travel uh with a group of people through the mountains and and that's been a big hit i think we had about five or seven kids involved last year and it's been um really popular uh because the the, the kids in that program are then sort of working towards more of the the, the backcountry guided uh part of the ski and snowboard industry that's fabulous because you got to be safe when you're back there and kids are going to go no matter what, but at least if you give them a vehicle to become wiser and make good decisions in the backcountry, they'll be safer out there. Yeah. And that's what we were realizing. You know, we would have kids who on the weekends would go up to the pass and they'd be building jumps with their, with their friends, you know, and realizing like, well, do they have, you know, do they have any skills to, uh, to take care of themselves if something were to go wrong. So, um, yeah, it's been really popular and it's been really well received. Mm -hmm. And I am curious if I remember what you just said, that tier one was for everybody where people learn mountain etiquette. And if you could speak a little bit about what exactly is mountain etiquette and, and why is that? So why is it important to teach all the kids? Well, I think, it's important to teach, uh, you know, to, to give kids a sort of an understanding of, of the realities of, of what it's like to be out there in, in an uncontrolled environment, especially in the winter, and to, you know, essentially teach them how to respect the, the surroundings and the conditions that they're in with an understanding that the more respect that they give to the conditions and the mountain and, and the, the scenarios that they find themselves in, the more that they're going to then get out of it. Yeah. That's big stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it seems so simple and so obvious, but it, it is really critical for people to, to know. And, and especially when they're in the backcountry make sure somebody's not below you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Simple things like that where, you know, we may take that for granted because mm -hmm. we've been going into the backcountry for X number of years. But, you know, if you think back, it's like, where did, where did you learn it? Well, you might've learned it from a friend or maybe, you know, in an AVI course or something like that. But yeah, we wanted to make sure that we were getting the word out uh, to, to kids a lot earlier than just waiting for them to, you know, hopefully uh, decide to take an AVI course or, or hopefully learn it from someone who has some knowledge. Well, great for you guys to see that you could offer something in a structured format, which will help keep the kids around here a little bit safer. Cause I know since I've been out here, it, it seems as though almost every year there's there's a death of a of a local child and during the winter season and it's something that happens. So um, anything to protect all the kids even more, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean we we have uh, reality thrust into our face pretty regularly here in Jackson Hole, so it's good to keep everybody uh, get them some knowledge and and keep everybody as safe as possible. And, you know, I think the, the backcountry program too is following a greater industry trend right now. You're seeing um, there's just so much, so many events and so much awareness going into backcountry travel. And so it, it would probably be irresponsible if we weren't offering something like that, especially seeing how many, how many different events like the, the skinny skis avalanche night that's been going on forever. And I know 
for the last few years, we've had the uh, Arcteryx Backcountry Academy taking place here in Jackson. And it, it's just, it's good to see that people are willing to put the time, effort, and, and money into, uh, into being knowledgeable. I want to get into now, Jeff, what it takes to keep an organization of 82 years operating year round, which most people think is a, just a wintertime activity, but also with so many participants. It takes a, a lot of cat herding for sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some, uh, some very creative budgeting. You know, I, we've, uh, we put a lot of effort into uh, our fundraising uh, capabilities to make sure that, you know, we're doing as much as possible to keep the, the, the program costs as, as affordable as possible for our kids. Um, you know, it's, it's no secret that skiing and snowboarding are, 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 are relatively expensive uh, activities to be involved with. And then when you, when you uh, include, you know, the component of, of a training program and then going to events and coaches and gear and all that stuff, it, it gets pretty expensive. So, you know, our, our big goals at the club are, are really to both on, on a event fundraising perspective and then more of a development fundraising perspective um, to really uh, raise as much money as possible so that we're keeping the program costs as affordable as possible. Because, you know, contrary to popular belief, something that we, you know, unfortunately hear all the time is that, oh, well, skiing or snowboarding, it's just for rich kids or, you know, things along that nature. And we have, we have uh, quite a few kids in our program who aren't just, you know, or the majority of the kids in the club are, they're not just the, the, the rich kids. They're, they're kids who come from, you know, relatively modest backgrounds. And, and so what we do is we, a lot of our fundraising efforts goes into um, making sure that we can have a really robust scholarship program. Uh, we give away over $100,000 a year uh, in scholarships. And, and uh, you know, we're really focused this year on, on raising hopefully a little bit more knowing that, you know, with, with the impacts of COVID and everybody's feeling the, the pinch, um, we want to make sure that we can keep all the kids involved in the club and, and that we can meet those needs uh, w when we get asked. So yeah, it's a, it's a all hands on deck approach. And um, you know, we are, we are probably, we're not as busy in the summer as, as we are in the winter, but you know, in the winter, it's, it's pretty much a 24 seven ordeal for, for everyone at the club. And, and we're lucky to have people, uh, all of our leadership team and our coaches and, and everybody's really passionate about what they do. So it, it makes sense for everybody to roll up their sleeves and, you know, dig in and, and put the work in that's needed to make sure our programs are serving our kids as best possible. And in the summer, you know, we, we have a little bit lax uh, or more relaxed schedule, but we're still, uh, you know, doing all of our planning for the winter and, and in preparations uh, for our fundraising events and, and uh, ready, you know, especially once kind of the, the end of summer comes ready to hit the ground running and not only get our programs going, but uh, you know, get our fundraising going too. And I've been to the big, one of the big fundraisers that you guys have the black tie blue jean ski ball. Yep. And how many years has that been going on? And, and what are you guys going to do this year? <laughs> yeah, that's the question, right? Yeah. Um, this will be our 32nd year of the of the Black Tide Blue Jeans Ski Ball, and uh, we 
just before recording this podcast, I uh, sent out a newsletter announcing that we're actually going to do a virtual style event, which after many, many hours of research and phone calls and emails with people to, to see how that would look and feel, um, we're actually getting a lot of really great feedback and finding out that, you know, nonprofits uh, are all around the R Valley and, and also around the country are all going to a, a virtual fundraising format for their big galas this year. And they're, they're, they're reporting back that they've been uh, as successful, if not more successful than the events they've done in the past. So we're looking at, um, yeah, September 24th uh, is our ski ball date. It's going to be an evening virtual event that is uh, we're, we're, we're thinking of it as kind of like a, a skee-ball telethon or a skee-ball TV show um, that's going to be a, a mix of, of live and recorded content. And just, you know, I think the, the, the cool thing about doing a virtual event is that anyone can tune in from anywhere in the world. You know, we will miss the, uh, the, the skee-ball, the in-person party. We've been told, you know, many, many times that people think it's the, the best party in Jackson Hole every year, which is, is a great compliment. And, and we'll have to put that on hold. But, you know, the other side of that this year is that we'll have uh, a lot more people that will be able to be involved with the ski ball and get to learn a little bit about the club. And how are people going to be able to sign up if they don't receive your email? How could they do that? So we'll, we'll be um, doing a lot more marketing about the event and getting the word out. Today was just, was just sort of the first launch. Um, so we'll, we'll be putting that out through social media and an and ad campaign um, and then a lot more direct email marketing. And it's something that will be hosted uh, through an app on, uh, on the internet, which we've used in the past for, for a different component. Um, it's, it's called Handbid and it's this really slick app that we use for our silent auction. And they have pivoted along with the rest of the fundraising industry to have their app be something where virtual events like this can take place through it. So we're actually really excited. It's, it's a big new challenge. Um, but I'm, you know, from what we're hearing, people are having success with their events. And so, uh, you know, we are going to charge ahead and create what hopefully will only be this one year of a virtual event. And then we can get back next year to a little bit more of the status quo. I, I hope it's the only time that you have to have that virtual event as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are have a little bit of transition from in your leadership program right now as well, don't you? We do. Yeah. Our uh, our our executive director Brian Krill, uh he he just left. I mean, it wasn't an an abrupt thing. We knew he was we knew he was transitioning out of the club. So, we are currently uh without an executive director, but I know that our our board of directors is is working diligently uh, to name the, the, the next person. And I think that that will be uh, announced in the next week or so, if not the next two weeks. So um, yeah, we're all really excited. Uh, you know, I know that they had a really, uh, a really big pool of people and, and a lot of really, really super qualified people. Uh, and then uh, they've, they've narrowed it down to the, the final three or so prospects. And I, I can't say who those are just yet, but um, I think we'll all be hearing about the new ED in the next coming weeks. And uh, yeah, I, I can tell you from, from a, a, a club staff perspective, we're all really excited to have uh, you know, a new leader come on board and, and sort of start trucking away and, and, and checking the boxes off on all these, all these things that, that we're trying to get done for this season. That's, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thanks. I know, I know um, that'll 
probably take some relief off of you as well, <laughs> considering <laughs> you've been there for so long. Um, a lot probably falls into your lap. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot falls into everybody's lap, especially on our executive and, and leadership team right now. Everybody's, everybody's doing a little extra heavy lifting, which is good. We've got a really solid crew of, of people at the club. So, but yeah, it, it, it'll be nice to have another body there to start splitting up some of these, some of this work. And, and I want to wrap things up a little bit here with the motto that, which, which you mentioned, which is create champions in sport and life. And, and I understand the sport part, but what does the Jackson Hole Ski and Snowboard Club do to create and teach kids how to be champions in life? I think it, I mean, the, I think the basis of that answer really comes down to good decision-making, whether you're training in skiing or snowboarding or, or just out there riding the mountain, you know, free skiing or, or whatnot. Um, good decision-making is the basis of, of, you know, moving forward and moving forward productively and successfully. Um, so that's a big part of what we're teaching is, is that, you know, good decision-making in skiing and snowboarding or just in sport in general um, also directly relates to, to good decision-making in life. Also, you know, teaching kids, uh, to work hard for, to set goals and then to work hard for those goals. Um, and to have a set of values that, that they, uh, that they live by, um, you know, whether they're the values of the club or, or their, their own values that they develop, but just learning to, to set those goals and to, and to have those values that, that, uh, drive their decision-making. And, and we hear from our alumni all the time about how, you know, they didn't necessarily realize it at the time when they were kids in the programs, but as they've grown up and, and come into adulthood, they really appreciate the, the lessons they learned being a part of, uh, of the ski and snowboard club and, you know, learning how to work in a group and, and, and not, you know, it's not always about you. There's group decision-making and group dynamics that come into play. Uh, and, and all of those different factors uh, have really, uh, we've been told by a lot of our alumni have really helped them um, as they transition into, into adulthood. I, I love it. Um, I know I set my goals each quarter. It's so important. I'm part of a, a group called the Lions Pride and Bill Watkins, the guy that heads it up, he said, if you don't write it down, it's just a dream, but you got to write down the goal, put it in paper, look at it, put it in place to, to see it every day. I like that. Yep. And I absolutely agree. And, you know, with there's so many of us that could out there that could really just take a few minutes of time to sit down and write some goals. I, I was never, never an athlete as a child as a, and I can, I can't not imagine the training regimen that the kids have to stay attached to to reach their goals of being the elite athletes that they are around here it's quite a bit i mean you know the majority of the work takes place off the snow once they get on the snow they're they're more or less you know going through the motions and you know creating those those patterns of learning the motions but then fine tuning them but yeah i mean we do so much work with the kids uh, you know, starting as early as the spring for the following winter. And, and it really pays off, especially when, when we see kids, uh, you know, finally get on snow, like you, you can see it and you can see it in, in them too. They, they understand, you know, like those prior three, four, five, six months of hard work and running and, and squats and working out when they get on snow and, and 
and really can feel how easily their, their skiing or snowboarding is coming to them and, and, and how connected they feel to those movements. Like they, they really appreciate it. That's awesome. Takes investment to get anything accomplished no matter Absolutely. how small or how big. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, final words of wisdom that you want to share with us today, Jeff? Cause this has been such fantastic information about uh, such an important organization in, in our community. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is just, you know, we really appreciate all the support we get from the community. We've got such a, a broad base of, of supporters and, and, and partners and sponsors of the club. Like we really, we really couldn't do it without everyone's um, support and, and especially our volunteers. The club puts on uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 events every, every season, whether that be our our fundraising events or a lot of them are, are like our junior ski and snowboard events that that take place either at snow king jacksonville mountain resort or um trail creek nordic center and we we could not do those events without uh the help of our volunteers i think we have something like 700 to 900 volunteer shifts per season that we need to fill depending on how many events we have coming up. So uh, yeah, huge thanks to, to everybody who, who gets out there and supports the club. And um, yeah, we're here, we're here in the summer. We're, we're still doing it. So we'll, we'll see if I get less questions about what I do in the summer. I, I would love to just be, you know, biking and skateboarding and paddleboarding all the time, but <laughs> we, we do need to be planning for the winters, unfortunately. Well, there are those of us just like yourself that really have, that have real jobs here. Yeah. <laughs> year round. Yeah. So off season, it means almost nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. You well, probably get, you probably get the people who want to come visit you and just assume that you have nothing else going on and you can go skiing with them every day. Yeah. It's more in the summertime. Uh, uh, the what? Summer, yeah. You're busy. What? Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's the busiest time of year Yeah, out here in summertime. Well, this has been spectacular. I appreciate this, Jeff. And I wish you and the organization all the best for your virtual ski and snowboard, the Black Tie Blue Jeans Ball this year on September 24th. And look forward to seeing some emails come out. And we'll certainly share that around on social media with the channels that we have. Great. Well, thanks so much, Stefan. I really appreciate being on here. And it was great to talk with you. Likewise. Be well. Keep shaping okay. those lives. Take care. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Jeff and the amazing work of the Jackson Hole Ski and Snowboard Club, please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 98. I love receiving reviews and ratings from all of you, so please send us something. Give us a rating and review on however you listen to your podcast. And also visit us on Facebook. We love some followers. So many thanks to everybody who helps me keep this going every week. My wife, Laura, the boys, Lewis and William, and my editor and marketing guy, director, Michael Morey. Peace out. Sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.